Hi, everyone. This is your affable host, Justin Stapleton, on the soon-to-be-named podcast. we got a great podcast for you guys today. We're going to talk about something that hasn't happened in more than 30 years. Late 70s, last time we saw this. I won't tell you how old I was. Not to give it away. But it's something that uh, is uh, fairly rare in nature, uh, something that has most of the folks across the United States buzzing, because we are in store for a solar eclipse in fact, this is the first time in quite some time uh, that portions of the United States states will be in total eclipse. Uh, it's happened in other parts of the globe here uh, over the last couple, but this is the first one for us in quite some time. So a lot of folks going to be pretty excited out there, including my guest here today. His name is Joe Califf. He is with the Houston Astronomical Society. Joe, welcome. Thank you for having me, Justin. Uh, so as a, w- w- can we call you a space nut? A space that's not the worst fanatic thing called. yes but a space nut absolutely. okay a space nut i sure, like that that works that works that as works. well uh i would see i see i say that because i am i am as well it, sure. it, I'm, I'm obviously if i do weather you're somewhat fascinated by all things that happen out in space uh so last eclipse we saw uh across the united states was when the last eclipse that we saw on the continental United States was in 1979. 1979. So I won't say how old I was there either. Probably I was, smart. Uh, still young, but that was the last eclipse that we saw here from the, the um, continental United States. Now, another interesting thing about this particular eclipse is this is the first coast-to-coast eclipse that is visible from the United States or the continental U.S. since 1918. Wow. So uh, I gave a speech to a group of folks at a retirement community um, on Saturday, actually, and several of them were talking about their eclipse experiences. Nobody had an experience from 1918, but they brought up experiences from the 1930s and so on. So um, this is pretty special. So this is the first time in several decades that we've had a coast-to-coast solar eclipse like this. And the interesting thing about this is, too, Joe, is that it, it not only cuts uh, from coast-to-coast, as you said, right. but if you uh, check out on clicktohouston.com slash eclipse, we've got all sorts of information in a really, really cool graphic that shows that this eclipse will literally cut the United States diagonally, starting up in the Pacific Northwest all the way down towards the southeast coast. That's correct. How remarkable is that? It, it really is remarkable, and it gives um, quite a few Americans the opportunity to see an eclipse. I, I think it, the most recent estimates I've heard Two million people are going to be chasing this particular eclipse, and uh, it's going to put quite a strain on some of the resources in the rural communities and towns that uh, this is going to cross through. But uh, many people say this is going to be the most watched, tweeted, Facebooked, whatever uh, event in human history. Which is, interestingly enough, uh, to, to me, a part I find interesting about that is that given the last one that we saw here, as you said, 1979, right. no social media, no, no cell phones, no. Uh, you know, rudimentary recording equipment Correct. at that point. So I think that's a whole different side of this is that, that not only do people have the opportunity to go out and see this, but, you know, what kind of scope can this create for folks that maybe are in a partial uh, eclipse like we will be here right. in Houston, which we'll talk more about here in a couple of minutes, uh, but folks that may be in other parts of the world that don't necessarily get to see this. Right. And, uh, no, that's, a, that's an interesting thing because anytime we have astronomical events like this that has a broad impact across a, a large number of people, uh, I can think back to Halley's Comet back in 1986, it drums up a lot of excitement about what's happening up there, right, from an astronomical perspective. And so uh, we're hoping that people take this opportunity to learn about the eclipse, learn about the science that, that occurs during eclipse, 
there are several sciences that occur here, right? It's not just uh, the astronomy piece of it, but there's climatology, there's meteorology, and everything else that goes into predicting how to observe these eclipses. But uh, the hope is that people take an interest in it and want to learn more, and then do take it on to, uh, to broaden their experiences around this particular science. So let's talk about the science of this for a second, Joe. Yeah. So a, a, a solar eclipse, for those that aren't necessarily familiar with what that is, kind of break that down. What are we, what are we looking at? Sure. So as everybody knows, the Earth revolves around the sun. And it does this once every 365 and a quarter days or so. Which that's, is convenient. That's, that's a very convenient. It just happens to be a year, right? Um, at the same time, the moon revolves around the Earth. And that happens every 28 days or so. And when things align perfectly, right, and the moon happens to be in front of the Earth, as, as you know, we see it uh, in between us and the sun, it casts a shadow on the Earth. And there are two types of shadows. There is a penumbra which is a wider shadow. And people who happen to lie in that penumbra area are going to see a partial eclipse. So this is something that people here in Houston are going to see. Now, if you happen to be lucky enough to sit in the umbra, which is the smaller, tighter uh, shadow itself, then you get to see the, the total eclipse. And uh, what happens then, again, it's from the perspective of the viewer, this, the moon actually moves through the sky and then blocks the image of the sun. And there are several things that happen during that as well uh, that we can talk about. But then it creates what we call uh, totality. And during that totality, all of the light from the sun is completely blocked off. Uh, you can't see the sun itself. You can see features of the sun. We'll talk about that as well. But it's the one time in your life that you can actually look at the sun in complete safety without needing additional safety glasses. So prior to totality, after totality, you do need the eclipse glasses or some sort of protection. Right. And here in Houston, throughout the entire event, you will need protection for uh, observing the event. Now, speaking to that protection, uh, one of the things that you can use for that is approved solar eclipse glasses. That's correct. Uh, if you check again, either on uh, our Facebook page, on my Facebook page, or clicktohouston.com slash eclipse, we, we've got information on how you can get that. And they basically look nothing more than just 3D glasses that you get back in the, back in the day. Exactly. They look like the old Jaws 3D glasses yeah. that we had at the, uh, the movie theaters. But yeah. What, what makes them protective, though? Because I get sure. questions about that a lot. Great question. Um, what makes them protective is they block out 99.9 plus percent of the visible and ultraviolet and some infrared radiation that's coming in from the sun okay the sun itself uh, is so bright uh, and when you look at it you may not feel anything happening but there's a lot of damage that can occur macular degeneration later on in life uh, other things that can cause uh, blindness or vision problems but these glasses do block most of the visible ultraviolet and some of the infrared light that's coming in so that we can safely observe the sun and another thing that we've noticed uh, that we've gotten some traction or that I've been uh, noticing is, is that there are uh, stories about knockoffs. Yes. Of folks that have been purchasing glasses for the solar eclipse correct. that are not um, protective. That is correct. So, so, what, so what do people need to watch for? What do you need to look for if you want to get this for your family, your kids, your friends, whatnot? Absolutely. So what you want to do is make sure, just like anything else, when you're buying these glasses, you're getting them from a reputable dealer. There are reputable astronomical outfits out there. Uh, Lansing and Sky is, is providing some of those. They're, they're here in Houston off of Richmond Avenue. Uh, but what you want to look for, and many of these are marked with an ISO designation, 
uh, or some other European or Japanese equivalent. So you're looking for an ISO designation uh, to show that these particular glasses meet a standard for protecting vision. Uh, in, in the case of the glasses that we have as a, an organization, they're ISO 12312. And um, seeing that ISO designation gives you good confidence that these glasses are going to be able to provide you the, you know, the protection and comfort that you need to observe the eclipse. So basically, you don't fry your eyes. Exactly. All right. <laughs> there we go. And again, you won't notice it right away, uh, but these are problems that can manifest themselves yeah. years down the road. Yeah, and hopefully we don't see um, uh, spiking cases of that since you said this will be the most watched Correct. Um, um, you know, solar eclipse that we've ever seen at this Correct. point. So let's get let's dig deeper into the science of sure. this as well. Um, some of the features that you said, once the moon moves over uh, the sun, you, th what, what I've read and what I've recalled from uh, previous ones is is that features of the sun, and in particular some of the perimeter of the sun, become visible that That's we correct. can't see just because of the massive amount of radiational output from the sun itself sort of blinds that, so to, say, to, to come up with you know a, a better term for that. That's correct. So when we look at the sun and dissect you know, the surface of the sun, what we see is the disk, you know, that, that flaming orange ball or yellow ball, is something we call the photosphere. Okay? The photosphere is that primary area that we see, and it dominates every other feature around it. Um, above the photosphere is a layer called the chromosphere. Think of it kind of like an atmosphere. And that's about uh, 1,200 miles thick. So by solar terms, very, very thin, right? Still very big. And then beyond that, you have something called the corona. And the corona itself is, uh, it's still bright. It's about the brightness of the full moon, right? But because the photosphere absolutely dominates that part of the sky, and there's so much of a contrast and brightness between the two, you can't see it. And really what people are chasing when they go to, a total, to, to view a total eclipse is to see that corona. And the corona is itself made up of what looks like just wispy tendrils of, of stellar material, solar material. And they're almost like uh, jellyfish uh, tendrils and whatnot. So very beautiful. Um, something that unless you have a moon-like object blocking the sun, we just don't have the opportunity to see. And what about colors as well? What kind of colors can people um, expect to see with this? Sure. So as the moon passes in front of the sun, right, you'll start to see a dimming of the light, obviously, from the sun. So here in Houston, we're going to see about a two-thirds reduction in the light that we have there. Uh, but if you happen to be in the path of totality, you start to see brilliant red. So that chromosphere that I was talking about, as the moon gets right to that edge, you start to see reds and, and oranges and other colors like that start to seep through. Uh, for us, we'll start to see many of the same types of colors that we see during uh, the evening and twilight. Uh, but during the totality itself, or right just prior to the totality, we'll start to see those reds and those oranges as we see just parts of the chromosphere uh, uh, coming through from a light perspective. Now, you mentioned the totality starts uh, up, I believe, right off of the central Oregon coastline. That's correct. Right. Yes. Uh, I used to live out in Oregon oh, um, and know some of that coast is, <clears throat> excuse me, as you mentioned, um, not a lot of roads out there. No. Now, Interstate, inter Highway 1, uh, which is the Pacific Coast Highway, for those that have heard or, or if you've heard that term, uh, runs literally along uh, the cliffs that fall off into the ocean. Um, that's the beginning spot and then moves its way south on a diagonal uh, down towards, and I believe it's going to end up 
towards Charleston, South Carolina. South Carolina, right? yeah, that's correct. At, at the yes. last part. So for us here in, in uh, Houston or based in Texas, where's the closest spot that folks can go if they want to go get into the total? If they want to see the entire disc go over the side? Right. That's a great question. I get that asked all the time. I bet you do. <laughs> and the closest spot is probably, and this is, this is a recommendation, um, is probably going to be St. Joseph, Missouri. Um, it's the easiest place to get to, I think, from Houston, and it's also not very far. Now, when we start planning out our trips for uh, viewing these eclipses, and I have colleagues in the Houston Astronomical Society who've seen dozens of these things. They travel the world and whatnot. You know, first of all, there's the science of astronomy, knowing that a, a, an eclipse is going to occur. Once it, uh, you identify that eclipse is going to occur, then you start to take a look at climatology. Right? And everybody says, okay, let's look at a map of the United States. Let's look at these paths of totality. Understand what the climate is in each of these areas. And that plays a big part in where people decide to go view this thing. And then from there, it's just like anybody else, any other event, it's the meteorology. We want to make sure that three days out, four days out, everything looks like it's going to be okay. If not, then we make our last minute plans to... Um, uh, to head somewhere else to hopefully find a better location to observe it. But for those of us in Houston, St. Joseph, Missouri happens to lie in the path of the uh, uh, totality. It's about 40 miles north of Kansas City, so it's really close to a, a large city, and it's really easy to get to using the interstate system. So given that, um, what kinds of problems do you think that this is going to present? Um, we've already seen, there's been, there was a report I read uh, about a town or a county in Idaho mm -hmm. that has already declared itself a federal disaster site <laughs> yes. uh, because they're anticipating an onslaught yes. of folks that normally wouldn't be in some of these smaller towns. And for uh, those of you listening out there, if you've never been out to uh, the Pacific Northwest route into the Mountain West, um, similar to what we see in West Texas, I mm -hmm. think there's a lot of similarities to Correct. it. You have these tiny little towns that may be located along an interstate, but there are gaps, hundreds of miles in yes. between them until you get to a larger city, right. and they don't see visitors that often. Not at all. Um, you know, as a member of the Astronomical Society, not only just here in Houston, but across the, 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 the nation, mm -hmm. what either A, let's start with what concerns do you all have that you think that folks may run into, and sure. B, what kind of work are you all trying to do as ambassadors as an event like this to, to sort of make people or not make I should say have people think before they go right that, that's a great question it's something we've thought about as an organization uh, for a while so the biggest concern I have is really the strain on the public utilities the um, first responders emergency systems in those small communities uh, if you look at a map of the path of totality it really is a, a just a swath of, of rural America. Uh, the largest city that is along the path is Nashville. Uh, Kansas City happens to be close, but for the most part, especially like you said, out in the western part of the United States, these are towns with maybe a thousand people in them. And that's gonna cause a huge strain on everything that that town um, has from a from a, an emergency responder system, from a uh, food and, and gas. That was uh, it, restaurants. Restaurants. And so uh, what we've been telling people is don't expect to just fly in uh, maybe a day or two before, drive around, stop off at restaurants and get something to eat. I, you know, much, much of the uh, systems and stores and restaurants out there are going to be completely taxed. So 
If you are planning on making a trip to observe the path, uh, somewhere in the path of totality, be sure you have plenty of food. Be sure you have plenty of water. Don't rely on Google Maps or anything. I, I mean, it's a habit, right? I mean, when I got here this morning, I punched in you yep. know, into Waze, uh, the, the directions here, and got here. Um, but you'll want to make sure you have paper maps uh, just as a backup, just in case. Don't expect to be able to make cell calls, right? And these are the type of things that, just like any other you know, hurricane event, right? What would you do to prepare for a hurricane? Uh, we say prepare the same way for an eclipse like this. Um, as a club, we've been trying to evangelize this as much as possible. Tell people that if you're going to go, uh, make sure you show up early. Uh, don't go there the last minute and expect to be able to get to your destination because, quite frankly, I've heard estimates that 2 million people are going to travel to see this event. And if you have 2 million people, I think it's going to be more than that, to I be would honest agree. with you. Uh, taxing the, the these local communities, it's going to be really tough. So be as prepared as you possibly can be. Bring what you need, uh, things like toilet paper, right? Mm -hmm. You never know when you're going to be in a traffic jam. And if you're bringing kids like I am, uh, you may need to find an, an empty field somewhere. Uh, so those are things that, you know, just like we say with hurricane preparedness, yeah. make sure you have all the things that you need just in case you're going to be stuck in traffic or somewhere that just doesn't have facilities. It's kind of like the biggest outdoor music festival we've seen exactly. in some time. <laughs> Eclipse Fest 17, right? There you so, go. Absolutely. Just make sure, you know, don't eat, don't eat the purple one. <laughs> just remember. So uh, interestingly enough uh, with that, let's get back to the science for a second sure. here. Um, as a uh, astronomer, mm -hmm. um, you know, what, what, are some of the, and I would say we'll, we'll take it to, to meteorology here as mm -hmm. well. Uh, folks are curious about what changes will they be able to, you know, feel, see, yes. and hear. Uh, you know, if you look out on the internet right now, the internet a great thing, sometimes not so great. Right. <laughs> you know, we've seen everything from animals are going to freak out and right. attack people uh, to a zombie apocalypse to you name it at this right. point. Let's kind of cut the fat away sure. and let's get to the science of it. Right. What are some of the changes that will be felt and seen on the ground here? A fantastic question. So if an animal was going to attack you, it was going to do it regardless right. of the eclipse. Right? You probably stepped on its tail. <laughs> you probably stepped on its tail. Um, so, so there are different things that we are going to see and experience, uh, whether or not you're in totality or in the partial uh, eclipse area. So if you happen to be visiting an area where you are going to see totality, right? The sun is going to dim uh, pretty much completely to about the brightness of the full moon, right? That's about how bright that corona is. So uh, as the moon passes in front of the sun, right, it's going to block off all the visible light coming from the photosphere and whatnot. Uh, it will dim. So it will be just like a, a, a night with a full moon. Um, and as a result, some of the animals do see this. And, you know, I, I was joking around with somebody the other day. They said, oh, the older animals are just, you know, they, they don't worry about it. They're the elephants are like, oh, yeah, this <laughs> thing again. <laughs> but some of the animals will start to go through their routine uh, when day transitions to night, whatever that routine is. Uh, because we are blocking off a lot of the ultraviolet light, or we, the moon is, uh, a lot of the visible light and whatnot, you can expect to see and, and feel the temperature change, right? So the temperature will drop. Some people will say, you know, it just depends on where you are, 10 degrees or so. Uh, in certain areas, if you happen to be in desert areas, it may drop more than that, right? It just depends on the local climatology of that area. Um, 
as the eclipse progresses, right, and the moon is starting to, you know, a partial eclipse and it's moving towards totality, it does get darker um, up until the point of totality. But what you also start to see is the wind does start to change, right? People have reported that uh, the winds start to pick up a little bit as it cools, just like it would in other places mm -hmm. as well, right? So you do start to get a, a, a little bit more wind. And as we approach that area of totality, there are things that people have noticed and recognized in the past that I'm gonna certainly be looking for, is they say you can look at large areas of the ground and see what they call these diffraction rays, right? Or shimmering rays. So much like when you're looking down at a pool, you start to see a bit of shimmering. Uh, you start to see that as the, um, as the light from the sun actually starts to diffract a bit from the moon. So you can actually start to notice that as well. So no apocalyptic, you know, outcomes or anything like that, but you will start to notice, you know, as it gets darker, the wind pick up a little bit, the temperature drop, and some of the animals will start to go quiet and some will, will be a little crazy, but uh, nobody should be attacked by an animal at that point. So we don't need to zombie land double tap. We don't no, need the first no rule No, no zombie here. land double tap. Okay, uh, we're good. You keep the shotguns at home. I That's think right. everything will be okay. So Yeah. So a a as a, um, on a personal note, um, what got you interested in astronomy and, and, and kind of to the point where you've decided that this is not only going to be a career, a passion, but sort mm -hmm. of like where you go with, you know, with your life. Sure. So I've always, uh, as far back as I can remember, just loved looking up at the stars, right? Looking up and seeing the stars, the moon and things like that. Uh, at five years old, I asked my parents for a telescope and uh, fortunate for me, they did give me one. And granted, it was a department store telescope, but, you know, it was enough to, to really good start. kindle the, yeah, absolutely, kindle the passion. And uh, so I've always just loved the science of astronomy uh, ever since I was a little kid. And so um, those of us of a certain age do remember um, you know, the moon missions and, and whatnot. I was born after that, but, you know, it was still fresh in everybody's mind. And, you know, as a kid, you wanted to be an astronaut. And uh, I think a lot of that is starting to dissipate and die away because we haven't been to the moon since 72. And uh, we don't have a, a manned program or anything else like that. But but for me, people of my age, you know, it was something you wanted to do. Everybody wanted to be an astronaut. And if you can't be an astronaut, get into astronomy. Be an right? astronomer, right. So. Do you think that this event in particular, as you mentioned, you're going to bring your kids there. And, right. I, and and as we said, upwards of 2 million people. And I agree with you, Joe. I think it's going to be much more right. than that. That's, a, that's an underestimate. Um, but do you think this may be a kickstart to see a new resurgence in uh, space exploration. You know, we've talked about um, not only, you know, the transition from government-funded space exploration to more privately right. now. Elon Musk, for example, sure. um, Sir Richard Branson, that right. are, you know, SpaceX starting to uh, uh, branch out to that. Do you think this will help sort of give that a bit of an injection into the arm to really get things going again. I think it does. And again, we've seen anytime we've had a large astronomical event like this, whether it's Halley's Comet or Comet Hale-Bopp in 97, uh, a few other of these events that are, are pretty big, well-advertised, people are looking for it. Uh, if that spark is there in that kid who really wants to learn this, they'll really take to it. I think really it's upon us then uh, as members of the Houston Astronomical Society, or other members of, of sciences and whatnot, to really reach out to people in the community and, and see if that spark is there and help nurture that along. And so that's something that we do as part of our outreach programs is 
try to visit certain areas, schools, retirement communities, uh, public parks and whatnot, and, and really be there to answer any questions that these kids may have. So the hope for me is that this does spark uh, a lot of that interest with a lot of kids, and they do take that to you know, follow up either in astronomy or other related sciences and, and go on to you know, be really well-known scientists, right? So I can go back and say, yeah, I was the one who yeah, showed I that. Knew that. There yeah. we go, right. <laughs> uh, okay, so for folks that aren't going to be traveling, mm-hmm. um, if you're staying here in Houston, what time does the partial eclipse start? What's what's our time window on? August 21st is the date, by the way, if you're not familiar Correct. with when that'll be. So we're about two weeks away. Two weeks two, away. Two and a half weeks away. Here, it so. is a Monday. Yes. So many people will be at work. Some people will be back at school, I believe, by that point. I'm guessing there may be a lot of... <laughs> Correct. Can't make it in today. <laughs> it's kind of the Super Bowl effect. Got right? the vapors. <laughs> the Super Bowl effect. There right. you go. So uh, the eclipse locally here starts at around 11.45 p.m. Or excuse me, a.m. 11.45 a.m. So prior, just prior to noon, we'll see the first contact of the limb of the moon uh, start to, to cross over that face of the sun. Uh, from there, it does kind of a U-shape, right? And then we'll get to our maximum at around 1.15. These are estimates right around 1 15 uh, p.m and that's when we have the maximum uh, eclipse here in houston so about two-thirds of the disk of the sun will be obscured obscured from our perspective and then once we get past that it starts to uh, move away and then the sun's disk does start to brighten so uh, in total it should last about three hours uh, starting at around 11 11 45 a.m and again if you want to observe this you know sunglasses just won't cut it, right? You do need ISO approved or some other standards approved uh, set of glasses to really observe this. So if folks are interested in uh, either doing it here locally, right. let them, uh, or I guess I should, I should ask, what do you at the Houston Astronomical Society have planned for this day? Great question. So <laughs> we're partnering with the Houston Museum of Natural Science. Uh, HMNS, both in the uh, central location, just next to Herman Park, and at their Sugarland location, are going to have an observing event. So if you want to, bring the kids down or just show up yourself uh, and observe there. So they will have uh, solar glasses for sale. They'll also have uh, some of our members and other uh, members of the different astronomy clubs in Houston uh, there with solar telescopes. So you want to make sure that if you're observing the sun with a telescope, it is a solar telescope or prepared so that you can actually observe the sun. And uh, you'll be able to spend some time there, you know, have some of the astronomers lecture and talk about all the things that are happening as they happen and uh, be able to ask any questions that you want and observe through those telescopes. Um, if you can't make it to the Houston Museum of Natural Science over at Levy Park off of um, Richmond yes. and the east side, I believe mm-hmm. it is. Uh, the Lunar and Planetary Institute is also going to have an observing event out there. So uh, other events are popping up. If you go to our website at uh, www.astronomyhouston.org, we're also listing uh, several of the events that are going to be occurring here, uh, here in the Houston area. So unfortunately, or fortunately for us, uh, many of our members are going to be out of state to, to observe this, but there are going to be plenty of scientists uh, across different backgrounds who are going to be at these different events to, to interact with the public and you know hopefully share some of their knowledge with them. You're fired up, aren't you? I am fired up. I'm looking forward to this. So uh, this is much better than the Disneyland vacation we had last I would agree. <laughs> and hopefully a little cheaper and not necessarily as many lines. Not as many lines, hopefully, right? Fingers yeah. crossed. But uh, yeah, we are planning on observing this out in Wyoming. So um, 
people have been planning this for a few years. Yeah. Uh, we are going to be in the uh, Jackson Hole area of Wyoming so to, to observe very this. Very pretty area. Mm -hmm. Now, people are teasing me because they say the weather there historically for this is not as nice as some of the areas of, of central Wyoming and, and Casper, those areas. But um, it is going to be a pretty nice area, and we're keeping our fingers crossed for clear skies. That's something uh, that we will try to do here in the city of Houston as well. Uh, myself, Frank, Britta, and Cambrell do take donations for clear skies for the 21st. <laughs> there we go. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> That's all it takes, then. I'm, I'm for it. I then we're good to go. That's right. That's right. Uh, you can uh, find more information about what they're doing with the Houston uh, Astronomical Society and all of the events. Where again, Joe? www.astronomyhouston.org. Excellent. And we've got it linked on our website. Click to Houston.com slash Eclipse. It is your countdown clock. Anything that you need to know about the eclipse here locally or anywhere across the country and across the globe, for that matter, is right there. That is your spot. Joe, thanks for joining me this morning. Hey, my appreciate pleasure. It. Thanks for having me, Justin. No appreciate problem. It. That's what we've got for the soon-to-be-named podcast this afternoon. If you want to check out other podcasts, all you got to do is go to where you get your podcasts, Google Play, or just download them from the uh, iTunes app store as well. We were talking a variety of different topics so everyone have a great day today and certainly please be careful if you're out there uh, watching the eclipse if you are going to be doing some traveling heed joe's advice as well this is going to be one heck of a celestial rock concert and probably going to be just as busy as well absolutely all right have a great day everyone we will talk to you on the flip side